at Calvary. I'd like to give a shout out to all of you worshiping over in the chapel and our Minnetonka campus and anyone online with us today. We're so glad that you have taken the time to join us on this Sunday morning. Before we dive into the message today, we take a moment in all of our worship experiences where we have the opportunity, I would call it a privilege, to show our faith and our trust in God by the giving of our tithes and offerings. Now, if you're a visitor or a guest here today, we don't want anything from you. We're just glad you're here. But if you consider Calvary your church home, we would ask that you continue to give generously like so many of you do. And it's such an honor to be in partnership with you as we seek to reach out with the gospel. And if you brought a gift that you'd like to give today, you can drop it off in one of the offering boxes if you're here in person, or you can always go to calvary.org give and get set up there online. Again, we're so thankful for the generosity of so many people here at Calvary. So we're continuing a sermon and small group series today called Keep the Change. And it's all about how to follow Jesus, how to be his disciples when it comes to our finances and our possessions and our stuff. Now I've said before, I get a unique vantage point, at least for those of you here in the worship center. Like when I say something, I get to see the reaction out there. And you know, oftentimes when I talk about money or I talk about possessions, I can see some interesting looks on people's faces. Some of you look very uncomfortable. There's others of you who maybe didn't even know it. You put your hand on your wallet or your purse. You're like, don't come anywhere near me. There's others of you who are just thinking, I knew it, all the church ever wants to talk about is my money. And there's others of you who are like kind of trying to grasp for a remote, wondering if we could turn, turn the channel on this message today. So I understand that this is not always the most comfortable thing to talk about, but it's so important for us to talk about. This was probably, you've heard me say before, Jesus talks more about money and possessions in the gospels than heaven and hell combined. It's hard to believe, but it shows how important this topic is to our lives and to our spiritual journey. Now, what I want you to hear today is that we don't want something from you. We want something for you. And I believe that these principles that we're going over in this series are important for you no matter who you are, even if you don't consider Calvary your church home, even if you're not sure what you believe. These are things that are important for every one of us. So last week, Pastor Dam kicked us off in this series by reminding us of such an important truth, and that is that God has created everything in this world, and that means that everything in this world rightfully belongs to him, and it means everything we have, every cent we have, every item we have is really a gift from him in the Psalms, it says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people, even ourselves belong to him. Now what that means is that everything belongs to him and we are simply his managers. We are the stewards of what really belongs to God. But you know, it's so hard for us to believe that because we like to think, but it's mine. We like to think, but I earned it. Well, the Bible even says that the ability to earn anything is a gift from God. Now, the question 
for you this morning is do you truly believe that? Do you truly believe that everything in the world belongs to God? Now, it might be easy to say yes, but it's a whole lot harder to actually live with that type of attitude and that type of belief from day to day. See, I think an important question for every follower of Jesus is what will you do with the gifts that God has given you? What are you going to do with everything that he's placed in your hands? Are you going to invest and build your own kingdom or are you going to invest in and build God's kingdom? Are you going to bless others? Are you going to impact people with an impact that will last for eternity? Are you going to simply invest in yourself for a temporary amount of time? You know, one day, every one of us will give an account to God for our life, but also how we have handled all that he's given us. So what are you going to do with the gifts that he's given to you? Why is this so hard for us to live out? Well, I think the number one reason that many of us don't give more freely and openly and generously is simply fear. We hear again and again spiritual truths like it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we might even believe in our, in our head that everything does belong to God, but when it comes down to it, we keep our hands clasped around everything we can. It's hard, it's hard to be generous. When it comes to generous percentage giving, we simply fail to act. And again, I think the number one reason is we're afraid. It's not primarily because we're selfish, although all of us struggle with that. It's not primarily because we're greedy, and we all do struggle with that from time to time as well. But I think it's when we start to think about generosity, when we start to think about giving away what we have been given, we start to ask, what if? It's that question that hangs us up. What if? What if I lose my job? What if I get sick? What if my investments start to lose their value? What if uh, my car needs unexpected repairs? What if I need a new roof on my house? And when we start to ask that question, what if, we stop giving freely and we stop being generous. You know, essentially we're telling God, God, I know that something's going to happen. I don't know what it is, but I'm afraid it's right around the corner. And I would love to live freely and love, live generously. But you know, there's those crises and those tragedies and those unexpected events that always pop up. So in the meantime, I'm going to take control. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to try to build up a fortress or a wall that will somehow protect me from anything that might come my way. God, I want to live like everything is yours, but I'm just too scared to fully trust you. But you know, church, the brutal truth, and you all know this to be true, is that we have so very little control over what happens to us. As much as we like to think we can save enough or we can stockpile enough to be bulletproof, there are things that can so easily happen 
that we have no control over. But in the meantime, we try to build up this false sense of security. And in the meantime, we don't become generous and we're not intentional in our giving. Now imagine for a moment, this isn't a fun exercise, but imagine for a moment that a crisis pops up in your life. Everything feels like it's falling apart. In that moment, would you ever pray to God, God, I know you are holy. God, I know that you are over this entire world. But you know, God, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to handle this crisis alone because I know best. I'm going to be in control. Would you ever, ever pray that prayer? Of course not, right? Even people who aren't sure they believe in God would pray a different prayer. If we were experiencing some sort of financial crisis in our life, we would pray to God, God, I do believe everything belongs to you. God, I do believe everything is a gift from you. I believe nothing is too hard for you. I believe you are Lord over all, and I believe that you will come in power, and I believe that you can intervene in my life. You know, it's in those crisis moments that we suddenly become very, very spiritual and very, very faithful. And suddenly we want nothing more than to invite God right into the middle of our finances. It's when we're struggling that we have no problem at all with God intervening and we're ready to do whatever he says. God, just tell me what to do. Go to church, I'll go to church. God, tell me to put something in the plate, I'll put something in the plate. But you know, isn't that just a little bit hypocritical? To just run to God when we need, our, when we need his help. To keep him at an arm's distance when things are going well. But then run and ask for his help when things fall apart. Well, today, what I want to do is get at the heart of why so many of us live our life in fear and why so many of us are resistant to being generous in the way that God asks us to. And I'm gonna focus on specifically how to invite God into our finances today, not just in a crisis, but wherever you are at right now. Because when we invite God into our finances ahead of time, well then when the crisis comes, when a health issue pops up, when our job is uncertain, when we have some house issue going on, then we're able to say to God, God, I'm not worried. God, I've trusted you all along through the ups and downs. I've obeyed you and I've honored you. And I have this deep sense of peace that you're gonna take care of me like you always have. I believe you're gonna see me through. You already know what's gonna happen before it even does. And so I'm just gonna keep on trusting in you. Well, in the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a church in a city called Corinth. And one of the things that he writes to them about is an offering that he is collecting. You see, the church in Jerusalem was being horribly persecuted and was suffering in so many ways, including financially. And so Paul saw this opportunity for Christian churches around the world to band together, to give an offering that would go to support the struggling church. 
And so the church in Corinth had decided to do this, to join in this project, yet they were somewhere in the middle of figuring out how to collect this offering. And so now Paul is writing to them in the book of 2 Corinthians to help them understand why living generously is so significant. And he's helping them understand how to involve God in their finances every single day. You see, we willingly ask God to be a part of other parts of our life. We say, God, we want you to be involved in our family. We want you to be involved in our health, of course. God, we want you to be involved in our jobs, but so often we're resistant to fully ask him to be involved in our finances. When it comes to our finances, we pull back and we're nervous and we start to ask those what if questions. Well, I think Paul wants to help us eliminate our fear factor. And here's the thing, I believe if you eliminate this fear around your finances, it will actually have an even greater impact in your life because there are so many other fears that we have that are so closely bound up in our attitude towards our finances. Our spiritual health, our physical and emotional health are all tied up in these things. And so when we eliminate this fear, it can have a dramatic impact on our overall health and outlook. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting with verse 6. And Paul says, remember this. All right, an important way to start, he's saying this is an easy thing to forget. It's an easy thing not to put into practice. So remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. I mean, there's nothing revolutionary about that. Everybody knew that to be true. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You see, what Paul is saying to his readers and to his audience is to remember the law of the harvest. Remember the law of the harvest, that you reap what you sow. If you plant sparingly, you will receive sparingly, but if you plant generously, you will harvest generously. Now again, this was a uh, society with a lot of agriculture around, and so again, everybody was experiencing this, but they knew if you plant corn, don't expect to get wheat or barley, right? If you plant 10 acres of corn, don't expect to get 40 acres of corn. And so now Paul is applying this basic principle, the law of the harvest, to our spiritual lives. He's saying the more that you give, the more you're able to gather, the more you give, the greater impact you can have on the world. The more generously you give, the more abundantly God will provide. You see, sowing and planting with what we're given is an opportunity for us to invite God into our finances. He's given us all that we need. And then we are called to sow and to plant generously, and we can trust that he will bring the growth and that he will provide ultimately what we truly need. Now, be careful though, because oftentimes we take this way too far to the extreme and we say, all right, I'm going to give a hundred dollars, but I'm going to expect God to give me a thousand dollars in return. And that's not at all what this law of the harvest is all about. If you ever hear someone say that, run the other direction or change the channel. 
But here's something to remember. As much as we like to think maybe this is a get-rich scheme, remember, you are rich in the eyes of the world. No matter who you are, you are rich just by living in this country. And you might say, I certainly don't feel rich, but you are in the very top percent of people in this world simply by the blessings we have living in this nation. This is not about getting rich quick. No, it's way better than that. It's way more impactful than that. But the question is, how are you planting seeds in your life? How are you sowing seeds for the kingdom of God? When we are generous givers, then we get to see God move in amazing ways. You know, according to Paul, one of the best ways to deal with financial stress and pressure is actually to give more generously. Now, that seems counterintuitive, right? But the more generously that we give, the more abundantly God provides. When we open up our hands, when we give freely, and then we get to see the law of the harvest in action. You know, when I give my tithe to Calvary, it used to be by writing a physical check, now it's more clicking buttons online. But either way, I like to imagine a scenario. I like to imagine me having a conversation with my money. And I like to remind the money, you are not the boss. No, God is the boss. And just to show you that you are not the boss of my life, I'm gonna give some of you away to teach you a lesson, right? And to remind myself who's really in control. It's a reminder of the law of the harvest. Now, naturally, we might wonder then, well, how much do I have to give? Could you just give an amount so I can get it over with? You know, should I tithe on the gross or the net? What are we talking about here? Well, Paul actually answers that question in the very next verse. He says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now, I think there are four important things in that one verse about giving generously. First of all, Paul is telling us that generous giving is personal. He says, you must each decide Every believer in Corinth was expected to contribute something to the offering for Jerusalem. Now, there were all sorts of people in the church. There were slaves. There were working class people. There were wealthy people. Paul didn't expect them all to give the same amount, but he expected them all to be generous. You know, the same thing is true for the church today. Generosity begins with each one of us personally. Every follower of Jesus is called to give, and there's no exceptions. That includes pastors and church staff and occasional attenders and regular attenders. But you know, studies say this does not happen today. In America today, 37% of people who consider themselves Christians give nothing at all. Now, sometimes in a larger church like Calvary, People might feel like, well, my giving doesn't really matter. 
But you know, it actually does. It matters greatly. And not just practically, it matters spiritually for you. Because generosity is closely, closely tied to our spiritual growth and health. If you're truly going to follow Jesus, if you're truly going to grow in your faith, you have to live generously. Now, Paul says that giving is also thoughtful. Generous giving is thoughtful. He says, you must each decide. Now, that might sound basic, but so, so many people in our country today give impulsively and emotionally and give haphazardly. And Paul is saying, you need to plan to be generous. You need to plan to plant seeds. That means sit down every so often, maybe with your spouse if you have one. Take an inventory, look at your budget, look at your income and your investments over the year and decide this is the amount God is calling us to give this year. Now you might say, well, how do I arrive at this commitment? The New Testament actually never tells us specifically how much to give. It's more in the terms of a response to God's love. It's a way for us to live out our faith and our trust, and it shows our love for Jesus. Now, the New Testament never discusses the idea of tithing, which is an Old Testament concept, but that's because the early church was already practicing it. The very first believers were Jewish, and all Jews practiced tithing in their spiritual life. If you don't know what a tithe is, a tithe is a first fruits giving. It is the best portion of what we earn. It's our first 10%, which is rightfully God's. So for Paul in the New Testament, actually being generous meant giving above and beyond the basis of a tithe. But you see, I think what we're really being encouraged to think about is proportionate giving. If you read in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells his readers to set aside a sum of money in proportion with their income. Now, another stat for you, in America, the average Christian gives $17 a week. I don't think that's what God had in mind when he talks about proportional giving. That's like two and a half visits to Starbucks a week. I mean, isn't God and his mission more important than a chai latte? But, you know, I think one of the biggest reasons that we feel fear and nervousness around giving is that we don't have a plan. We haven't sat down and prayed about it and talked with our spouses about it. And we think, but I've got a kid in college. I've got debts. I need more security. What about my retirement? But you see, when we decide in our hearts what to give, it actually gives us freedom. So that when another appeal comes and says, give us more money, you can say, yeah, I would love to. It sounds like a great cause, but I've already decided in my heart how much to give. It actually frees you from guilt and shame. Now, for some of you, the idea of a tithe might seem unattainable. So my encouragement to you is pick a percent and start there and see how God will be faithful to grow that 
over time. And you might say, well, what's the big deal with picking a percent? Well, the only way you can do this is if you have a plan, if you sit down and figure it out. You see, this is a way that we can stop just being emotional, haphazard givers and instead be intentional, generous givers like God calls us to be. See, it's saying to God, God, I'm trusting. I'm trusting you at your word. You're not going to be an afterthought. I'm not just going to give you my leftovers. I'm not just going to give you a little tip because I like what you're doing. This means having a plan and being thoughtful in your giving. Next, Paul says that generous giving is passionate. He says, decide in your heart what to give. This can't just be a head thing. It has to be a heart thing. When Jesus has captured our hearts, then we naturally respond with generosity. Do you know one of the definitions of generosity is being open-hearted? And so our giving is an expression of our heart. You know, if you want to know where someone's heart is at, take a look at their bank account, right? Because we put our money where our heart is. And so our giving makes a statement about our love and our gratitude for who God is in sending Jesus for us. And then finally, Paul says generous giving is cheerful. Generous giving is cheerful. He says, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. If you're just giving out of obligation, if you're just giving because of pressure or because someone made you feel guilty, then you're better off not giving at all. God loves a cheerful giver. And you know, it's really hard to be generous and be grumpy at the same time. But maybe you've heard the phrase before, give until it hurts. I think it should be said in a different way. We should give until it feels good. Give until you feel like you're really making a difference. Give until you feel like you're making an impact with God's help. It feels good to be generous. So Paul says generous giving is personal and it's thoughtful and it's passionate and it's cheerful. And yet we so often struggle with actually doing this. You know, again, we go back to those questions. What if I give too much? Well, what if I don't have enough? Well, in verse eight, Paul addresses those thoughts too. He says, and God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. God promises to provide all we need. But you see, there's a difference between what God says we need and what society says we should have, right? It doesn't mean we're going to have everything the world says to have. No, God will provide what we truly, actually need. And this is not a health and wealth gospel. It doesn't mean you'll never have financial problems. But it is a promise that God knows what you need, and he will provide all that we need to do what he calls us to do. Now, for some people, that might mean a blessing of financial abundance. For others, it might mean God will give us the wisdom and the discipline needed to get by with the limited resources that we have. God's blessing might be a raise at your job, 
or it might be a second job, or it might be contentment and joy that you find in the lean times of life. Wherever you're at, God will provide all that you need. Now look at verses 10 and 11. It says, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer. Again, everything belongs to him and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Church, the law of the harvest says, when you give generously, you will find you have everything you need. When you give generously of your time, you'll find that your time you have left over will become that much more productive and meaningful. When you open your heart to others, you will find that they open their hearts to you. The more generously you give, the more abundantly you will receive. When you give generously to God's mission, people's lives will be changed. People's needs will be met and God's kingdom will advance. Church, the awesome thing is you can't outgive God. No matter how hard you try, you will never, ever outgive God. Remember John 3.16, which says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God gave Jesus for us the greatest gift that could ever be given. You see, God knew that you reap what you sow. He gave Jesus unto his death on the cross so that he could have you and me as a part of his family. See, God knew the law of the harvest. He knew the cost and he was willing to pay the cost so that we could have life and forgiveness and that we could have hope in him. Now there's this hard spiritual truth along the way and that is the extent that God gets our stuff, he gets our heart. All right, God will never fully get your heart if he never gets your stuff. When you try to hold on tightly, when you try to stockpile it all, he'll never fully have your heart. So church, today, let's not give in to fear. Instead, let's invite God into our finances so that we can live generously and so that we can do what he calls us to do and so that we will be ready when those storms of life come. Let's pray. Father God, we acknowledge that everything belongs to you. Even those things that we still have our hands and our fingers wrapped tightly around, God, every single thing is yours. Every scent is yours. God, help us to never forget that. Help us to remember that we are your managers, that you have gifted us what we have for a short amount of time so that we can partner with you in expanding your kingdom. God, help us to overcome our fear of inviting you into our finances. God, help us to get over the illusion 
that we are somehow in control or we can somehow save or stockpile enough to be bulletproof. God, help us to remember you are in control. And so help us to remember the law of the harvest, that we reap what we sow. God, help us to show our faith and our trust in you by loosening our grip on the things of this world. God, help us to be more generous givers. And God, we just want to see what you're going to do as we take you at your word. God, we want to see your kingdom advance. We want to see more people come to faith. We want to see your church grow. God, we want heaven to be a more crowded place. And so God, all that we have, including ourselves, are yours. And we trust all this to your care. In the powerful name of Jesus, and let's all say together, amen.